Let me guess. You've already knocked out your best of 2021 list, haven't you? You did it. You got your top 10 albums together, and you're probably going to post it somewhere very soon now that we're reaching the guts of December and, you know, the new year is almost upon us. It's not an easy process. Well done. You did a great job. I know it took some time, but it feels good to get a tight 10, doesn't it? Well, I have some bad news for you. You've got to rethink that list. Why? Well, because in Raiders of the Lost Ark fashion, an album has snuck under the rapidly closing door of the year, and it wants to topple that list right over. In other words, you thought you were done, but you're not. Okay, so that's the bad news. The good news is you're about to become acquainted with what very well may be one of the best albums of 2021. What's the name of the album? Oh, sit tight. You're about to find out. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. guest today on the program, Kevin Whalen. Let me tell you a little bit about Aeon Station and Kevin Whalen. Now, the name Aeon Station might not sound familiar, but their music probably does. And there's a simple reason for that. Aeon Station is basically three-fourths of the personnel of the legendary New Jersey band, The Wrens. So why is the band called Aeon Station and not The Wrens? Well, There's also a simple reason for that, but it's one of those simple reasons that's actually kind of complicated and probably deserves its own podcast by way of explanation. So for the sake of clarity, let's just go with this. The band is called Aeon Station and not The Wrens. Confused? Well, this should clear things up. The Wrens, formed in 89, put out three perfect albums, including Secaucus and The Meadowlands. When The Meadowlands came out in 2003 it kind of caused a massive indie rock stir, and the band was poised to translate their critical acclaim capital, of which they had a very large amount, into a profile that was bound to be larger. But, long story short, they didn't. Now, almost 20 years later, singer-guitarist Kevin Whalen, who shared Wren's songwriting and singing duties with Charles Bissell in a kind of Jones and Strummer way, decided he would step forward with a batch of songs he'd been sitting on, including five that were intended for the follow-up to the Meadowlands. Waylon's longtime Wren's comrades, his brother Greg and Jerry McDonald, play on Aeon Station's observatory, and the results are nothing short of captivating. A dramatic song cycle of indie rock soundscapes powered by wondrous melodies and lilting choruses, 
Aeon Station's observatory is stunning work. Falling somewhere between Remy Zero's Villanelle, Radiohead's OK Computer, and the crunchy beauty of Aerogram, the album is a breathtaking blast of melodic wonder. It's affecting, it's arresting, and it's utterly thrilling. It reminds us that whether beauty rises or falls, it's always spectacular. Now, I know I didn't really answer the question as to why this is an Aeon Station album and not a Renz album, but basically, Charles Bissell is not a part of this album. That's the only explanation that I can give you. So three-fourths of the Renz is not really the Renz. As for the rest of it, Kevin Whalen will explain. Here's my conversation with a very cool guy, Kevin Whalen, of Aeon Station, right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. has happened as I've gotten to reach the age that we are um, is I had, and I'm a writer and I felt, I've always felt that time was infinite uh, until, until recently I realized that it's, that it's not. And that the, all these projects I want to do, I should just do them and not, yeah. um, and not think like, Oh, that will be done in five years. That'll be, I need to like do stuff. So have you, have you been aware of the passage of time in a different way lately? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Thank you. And I've always, um, you know, I don't get asked this often, but I, I have always been a little obsessed with time in a weird way. You know, I, I kept a diary as a kid um, from the ages of 13 all the way into like my, my mid to late 30s, a daily diary. So it has all the, the ramblings of this, but you, I would kind of, you'd see how the dreams were always about to come, right? And then the dream would change over and over again. And uh, yeah, I, I would definitely say that there's been this acute recognition of time and, you know, yeah, it's crossing that 50 mark, but it's looking at, wow, I really, not that I wasted a lot of time, but I, I was a little bit not as precious with my time. I believe that I had more, right? So you're exactly right. And then you want to start to do as much as you can and, um, and not sort of waste so much time in making the decision. And does it also make you feel, because I, I know I'm, from what I've read, it doesn't sound like there's a shortage of material in the in the Kevin vaults. <laughs> like it sounds like you have a lot of stuff. It's um well it's 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 an interesting vault because uh, it's not often that artists just don't ever release anything, you right. know. And you figure I haven't released anything since 2003, <laughs> and even before then there were vaults that kind of led us up into the Meadowlands at that time that was really already a lot in those vaults, and we just put everything aside and and. Uh, and and it, it didn't stop the writing, right? So the writing kept going on and the ideas and the strumming and the dreaming and the same thing I did when I was 17, I continued. So yeah, uh, there's a lot to go on, that's for sure. Does it make you feel that now there's an, almost like an urgency to maybe share that material with people or do you feel that stuff stays in the vaults? Yeah, I do think there's a, because it's been, I don't know if it's a discipline, but I definitely would say it's sort of the design of who I am or, what I was with, with, and what I've been with, with the Rens, it's, um, uh, 
there is an understanding that the first thing you've done is not great, right? And then you have to live with a relationship with art in any way. It's sort of like a person and a, a friend or, or somewhere that you live. <clears throat> you don't know it uh, until it kind of reveals itself. And that takes a while, right? You mean those like early scruffy years that, right? That sort yeah. of like those almost like apprentice years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I it's, it's, it's kind of a nice kind of almost quote. It's like our apprentice years lasted over 30. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's a lot of apprentice years on there. And uh, <laughs> yes. There is a sort of like Salinger-like element to your body of work where it's very tight, right? There's, there's not a like, there's not like yeah. a lot of stuff. Um, yeah. And so do you feel now that with, with this new, under the new banner that you could just, you could release a spate of like a lot of material um, or do you feel you want to sort of preserve that kind of tightness of the discography? You know, yeah, it's so funny you say that because there's no, been no, everything's kind of happened so quickly that there's no grand design whatsoever. You know, I'm looking at this, this, this group of songs, you know, which I won't have again in a weird way is over at least since 2007. So you're talking about a 13, 14 year kind of development yeah. life cycle. <clears throat> I'm just too old for to have that life cycle anymore, right? And uh, or lucky that I had this past one. Um, so no, there's really no game plan beyond like, oh, I was gonna use this artistic venture to kind of pour out as much as I could. It's sort of just like, well, I have this collection and there you go. And, and there might, I don't know if there will, I'm already working on a lot of stuff and enjoying and still kind of doing all what I've always done. But what the next step is, I, it's completely unknown for sure. Yeah, and I was thinking about how um, like many years ago, I was living with a girlfriend and we had broken up, but our lease was going to last for another two months. So we were going to live together yeah. until the lease expired. So it was like a two month march to a goodbye. Um, it seemed like the Wrens were planning their goodbye for a long time in terms of like, this is going to be the final album, no matter what. Um, was that a weird feeling to sort of be kind of planning such a long goodbye without being able to actually say the goodbye? You know, it's it's kind of interesting. I will tell you, uh, the, the Wrens, for all four of us, have sort of defined who we are in our life. It's been our whole life. It, we were never a hipster band. We were never the up-and-coming band. We were never the scene. We never really had that kind of success uh, whatsoever. Um, so even building up to this record that was going to be this Wrens record or would, would potentially be a Wrens record, there was never a discussion of an end. Right? Because we've only known it, right? We've only known it with our families and our kids and our friendships and living with each other for 15 years. We've only known this, you know, not that it was going to be the Rolling Stones and not that anyone would really even care. But we never had a conversation of saying, oh, you know, this is the last Friends record, we're done. Um, at least not in the band. We never, we never spoke of it that way. Oh, that's like, well, like, like a manifestation of the press sort of saying that it was supposed to be. I would say so. I think now it's also a manifestation of sort of this this turn of me releasing this this music and we still haven't got a Renz record out so people are like well then and you know how people kind of take it right you know i i look at it is life is too short right you never you can it, it's hard to say never that's that's especially in art yeah at the Renz, like you had this full-time job like you're like you're a guy with a job did you feel all these years that you sort of were um into worlds or did you or did you sort of feel that that second world wasn't really occupied but mostly visited um 
yes, I felt firmly, as you were saying in, in your analogy, firmly in two worlds and uncertain of kind of either. Just enjoying both worlds for what they are, wondering how it would then progress in each one of those worlds and not really, not really, and, and realizing that they're not mutually exclusive and they're not like, it just, it just sort of is. And I do think that people have this multifactorial aspect to their lives and you shouldn't sort of shut down one style of your life or one view of your life because of another, right? You know, but you have to be realistic in that, you know, I can't be punk rock and driving around in the band. I mean, we used to play bottom of the hill, right? You know, in San Francisco back yeah. in the day, and we would drive, we would drive from New Jersey. It's almost absurd. We would drive from New Jersey to bottom of the hill to play that. We had some of the best shows of our lives at that club. And uh, God, I mean, just wonderful. But you kind of can't do that and think you're going to pay the rent. You, you, you gotta, you know what I mean? You, you, in some ways, and then on the other side too, it's like, you know, I can't, I can't, you know, joke and say, well, I'm going to be the biggest person in the business world because, you know, I, I think the one thing I've, I've realized is that those really successful people, they are who they want to be, you know, and, and time and time again, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's in business or with, whether it's in art, right? You know, I was very lucky to meet, and we all did the band. We met, you know, Connor from Bright Eyes when he was 14 years old in a parking lot in Omaha, Nebraska. And from that moment, he was never not that person. And the fact that he became so successful was really not a shock. It was not a surprise because he was doing things that no one else was doing. You know, I mean, you, you, Right, so I think that's, I think people are who they wanna be. We all wanna be a little richer or we like this or what, but in reality, people kind of are okay with who they are. Before I say something about that, I wanna say that like, I live 35 minutes away from bottom of the hill and one night someone said, hey, let's go see whoever it was. And I said, oh, I don't feel like battling the traffic. And you guys were driving from New Jersey to the bottom of the hill. I feel like a jerk now, man. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, we, uh, we love that place. We love great place. the best shows ever. It's a great place. Um, but I do want to say with what you're saying about people being who they are, um, you could see that Connor had firmly planted his feet. That was where yeah. he was going, right? Yeah. Um, and and it seems like for you and your brother there and you know there was a tremendous sense of reality and self preservation. Getting in yeah. the van and doing it the Henry Rollins way doesn't look good at forty six, right? Would that yeah? Not the right you know, way? in reality, it kind of you know you figure with the metal ends, uh, Greg and Charles were already pushing forty, and Jerry and I were thirty three, thirty four, and Jerry had three kids and he was a bus boy. I had no job. Charles, I think, was still teaching. Greg was sort of a Kind of a judge you know trying to change his job so yeah you're you're exactly right you know we were never kind of in that scene or in that way i think the preservation was almost kind of self-preservation for the band like mm -hmm. how are we going to make the band still exist and not give it up because we're not henry Rollins? you know what i mean that, that's that's always that 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 thing it's like you're either or 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 can you kind of and we all work very hard to support each other in that way for sure I also wonder because it wasn't how groceries were getting on the table, if you could almost swing a little freer, like what the pressure wasn't there. Yeah, we were we were far more. Uh, I don't know. Uh, well, it's kind of interesting. In some ways, we thought the Meadowlands was our last record because z zero plot times zero cared at that moment. Uh, you know, Interscope was looking to sign us. They had no interest. We had no label. We had no money. We didn't have jobs. And we kind of said, let's just shoot for the fences and put out one record. That's why it came out 
with our friend from Corey from San Francisco that we met years and years ago when he was a, a record uh, store kind of manager. And um, I mean, it could not be any more punk rock. I mean, it was literally out of his San Francisco garage that he was releasing these records, right? To know he did a great job, but um, yeah. Uh, so in a way that was sort of the last record and we, you know, we couldn't just continue. I don't know, you know, it's like, do you keep the dream alive? It's what it's always been. Do you keep the dream alive or do you give it up? And also the idea of keeping the dream alive, keeping that, the sort of creative flame burning. I mean, even if you quit the music business, you weren't going to stop making music and that's just what, it's what you right. do, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and uh, I think that's, you know, I've always, I've always kind of felt that that's sort of what's been the success of what we've done uh, is because we're like everyone else, right? Most people live in this world between art or creativity and a job of some sort, right? And, and people love their art and they love that expression through their life. And how do you kind of live with it together and manage it? Uh, and they saw that at us, right? They would say, oh my God, you're playing bottom of the hill on a Friday night. Next Monday, we would have to get home for work. Right. It was kind of that exact, and, and they're like, yeah, us too, right? So it was really, that was part of the community, I think, and what liked us. Were your parents, um, you know, with two brothers in a band, were your parents um, supportive of you guys doing that, or were they a little bit concerned, or did they always know you had good heads on your shoulders? Um, both. And like you, my parents were educators. So they're both teachers. My father was a superintendent of a school district, and my mother was, you know, 30-some years as a uh, librarian of the school so we grew up with that kind of you know openness right you know as, as great like yourself professors have where they you know look at life in a kind of a different way um, but they got scared as hell right when their kids are in their 30s and 40s and have no jobs no prospects you know what I mean and like they're just like are you sure my brother would have a law degree that they supported so right it's like yikes <laughs> yeah but there is a degree I look at you know, all the bands we grew up with and I look at self-preservation and I think like a lot of punk rock guys were secretly getting their PhDs, I you know? know? Yeah, totally. Like Bad Religion and all those dudes. And like, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's uh, right. It's, it's phenomenal when you kind of get behind the scenes. There's a lot of us. That's what's cool, right? There really, there really is. I think that does link the community um, very nicely. But that our parents and our generation weren't afforded, right? They really didn't have that option, which is, um, I think it's a great thing for, for us, for society. I think so too. And I, and I do think that it's interesting to see who, who preserved themselves, who, you know, I mean, you look at Greg from Bad Religion as a great example of a guy who yeah. like that guy, or Milo from The Descendants. Um, yeah, right, totally. Know, they clearly were sort of keeping two flames burning that were totally different. Um, yeah. you know, I mean, even like the Milo goes to college record is, is like, that guy had a plan. Yeah. <laughs> there was a plan, I, you know? Um, a total plan. Yeah. 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 And, I, and I feel like with, I feel like with you and your brother, it's sort of like, there was never a moment. It doesn't seem to me where you guys thought we're going to go full-time with the Wrens. That's going to be our bread and butter, dust the shelves for Grammys. This is going to, you know, what, you know, what's so funny is we did and all four of us did. Right. So when you, it, it, obviously definitely my brother, you know, my family is my brother, but then Charles and Jerry are also my brothers in the sense of living with each other and kind of doing that. But we quit a number of times, right? So we quit when we were 24, we got our first record contract from, you know, Dutch East India. And I was joking, right. We saw the, we were, we were two secretaries in Manhattan 
and we saw our first record contract come through the fax machine. That really dates us. And it would curl up and we kind of uncurled it. And, you know, we saw that the first advance was for $1,500 and we thought we were going to be, you know, rich and famous and like all our dreams were going to come true. And so then we sort of quit and we went on a squatter tour in Germany. So we quit in that way. We had nothing. All of us quit our jobs, like we lost everything. And then we kind of had really no success for the next couple of years. And then you know, it was, and then we quit again, kind of with the metal ads. We're like, oh, let's try to go do it again for a short period, even with the jobs. And might this kind of take off? Might this turn us into who we thought we'd be? And then that would fizzle out. So yeah, it was, uh, there was a couple jumps off the cliff for sure. Have you always been a fairly realistic person? Yeah, I think uh, all of us have been quite realistic. Realistic also in, um, in our talents, real, realistic, real, realistic in what life, how to kind of manage it, and also realistic in how our music was being perceived and accepted within the music community, right? For sure, because like I said, you know, we saw Connor and all of a sudden we go here. I mean, you know, another story I've shared is, you know, we, we met Arcade Fire in one of their first tours. We drove up in a snowstorm. It was like us and like 15 people in a bar and these kids played and they were just like, the second coming, I, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. And we brought them down to play their first show in New York City, right, during a CMJ festival. Long story short, the next year, they were playing in Central Park with David Bowie. So it's sort of like, you kind of can't, you can't yell at somebody for winning the lottery ticket. You know what I mean? It's, you know, it, it, it really was that kind of thing. And you have to be realistic and know that if you're not that, that if you're not there, and who are you? Yeah, and I think, you know, rock and roll does this thing where the myth-making element of rock and roll is still so alive that when you tell me we went on a tour of Germany, in my brain, I immediately romanticize how awesome that must have been because it sounds awesome that, you know, in your yeah. 20s to be in Germany. Was it awesome? And like, what was it like to suddenly you know, be a Yes, I would highly, high, highly recommend people uh, quitting their jobs uh, we were literally like wrapping up our amplifiers in the plane in boxes and we got off at the airport in Germany, uh, not knowing what the hell we had, a, a guy that kind of helped set us up. And we literally played the squatter tours where I think we started going to the places and you had the first stage, I had no electricity and I had a huge pig on the stage, like a huge, huge, gigantic pig. You had to move the pig away because that was his bed. And then, then all the squatters would like attach a long electric... So the romance of it was just kind of insane, right? And you're just driving around this van, you're breaking down, you're doing all these things. Sometimes it's wonderful, sometimes it's hell. Uh, but in a way, driving through the black forest, playing these shows, going here and there. And uh, yeah, it's pretty damn romantic. Like it, it, what would you kind of think it really is that? Which is what I think people get hooked on. You know, it's a bit of a drug, right? So that, that you know, it, and the drug can kind of go away pretty fast. You know. Yeah, and again, you got you got a hit of that drug, but it didn't intoxicate you to the point where you yeah. threw it all on you that. Keep the habit. Yeah, no. Yeah. no, and some people do. I mean, there are people who are still doing that tour of Germany at fifty-five. I know, <laughs> you know? I know, dude. and I and I give them all credit, right? That's a love. That's a different version of the love, right? That we have for art or for music. I mean, you know, I just kind of, and I see it so differently now than I think when I did when I was young. I was so blinded by you know, ambition. I was so blinded by this narrative that I had in my head of what I thought my life would be, right? Which many people, we all do it, right? At a, at a young age. 
Uh, but now look, I mean, look at the passion for you to keep, you know, this, this, this podcast going and, you know, your love of art and it defines who you are in a way that you kind of can't take it out of you. You know, you, you cannot exercise that anymore, right? That's just, you, you, I think you do get to a point where you're like, well, this is just who I am. Um, but it's hard to do those squatter tours at a certain age. That's for sure. Yeah. I, I imagine it'd be hard to do at 30. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We were, yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, luckily we were, well, yeah, we were in twenties and the other guys were in their early thirties. So yeah, it was sort of interesting, <laughs> especially when you're not making any money. <laughs> right. That's right. I, I always wondered why it was Germany. Why did they send you there? Why was it there and not elsewhere? Because that's where, uh, and actually our booking agent was from England, and but the, the, it was sort of like they really had that network, right? There's this, there was this also great place called Christiania. I don't know if you've ever kind of heard about it or read about it, but it was like the squatter commune, right? That just, it's very, very famous. And they would sort of get even big acts, but there was a little bit of like a squatter circuit. You would go to these towns and these kids in local towns would kind of, kind of take up these abandoned places and just... Uh, and it was, it was real. I mean, it was so we were so stupid. We had no sleeping bags. Uh, we we took we stole the blankets from the airplane. We were sleeping outside. I mean, it was just <laughs> we we never made anything easy for ourselves. Huh? Why should I feel like I still have more time?
from a curiosity standpoint, you're a young man, you finished the German tour. When you came home, were you exhausted? You're sort of like exhilarated, exhausted, depressed, unsure, all that kind of stuff, right? Because we were coming home off of, you know, in that way, kind of like nothing. But I think it's funny you say, because that's sort of like the, that, that is a perpetual kind of cycle, right? Where you have like these peaks and then you have this drop, you know, and you're like, oof, how do you navigate some of those things, right? It's, um, it's interesting. Um, you know, we, we were lucky enough with the, with the band, we, you know, we played in front of 20 people, 20,000 people at the Pitchfork Festival. And then I think the next night, I think we played in Minnesota to like seven people. You know, I just, that's the dichotomy of it. You're just like, oh boy, okay, this is, this is business. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, I know. There, I remember when my, my first book came out, I did a reading and there were 50 people there, which for poetry was amazing. And then the next night it was just my dad. <laughs> it's like in this library somewhere, my dad was there and I was like, oh, okay, I guess this is. Well, Alex, I will, I'm gonna look up your stuff. I would love <laughs> to kind of read it and learn and, uh, yeah, right. Especially for poetry, fifty people. Listen, we played thirteen years to like ten people or less. So that's that's great for poetry. That 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 is that is Madison Square Garden right there. Oh no, you totally. Mix, like your dad, who loves you completely and loves yeah. what you're doing, but it's like it's a different vibe. Oh, I mean the fifty people thing. I was like, holy cow! The one where my dad was there, I literally there was a homeless guy outside, and I said to him, <laughs> "If you come in, I'll give you a couple bucks." And he did. He came in. He was very sweet. Um, but yeah, you're right with poetry. That is so true. You know, but unfortunately, that's this is the story you tell, right? And and you know, I, I can't even go on and on with the stories that we have of like, you know, we broke down and we we broke down in uh, kind of El Paso, Texas, and we hitchhiked, and then we got caught. They they almost were driving. They got in the back of a pickup truck, and they brought us to this like mechanic and. This guy said, would you like to go to a party? And we said, yes. And there was a girl there. And she said, if you go to that party, they're going to kill you. <laughs> what? I mean, and, then, and then the girl in the middle of the day took off her clothes, just standing there. And it, it's, these are things that never happen in your day job. That's for sure. Well, they, no. they most likely. But when your day job is sort of driving around the country and being in that world, it certainly can happen. Right? For sure. Did you go to that party? Uh, no, we got in the truck and we went back. We went back to a hotel as fast because they were serious to like, he's kind of kidding with you, but they want to like rip you off. Like, okay, we're going. We're not going. Yeah, go we're going. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting that the there are moments in life where you go, okay, this thing is happening. I'm done with this. Like, I'm not going to do this anymore. Yeah. Those moments with the Rens when when those kinds of rock and roll folly happened, yeah. um, the unglamorous moments that are really sort of spirit testing. Were there moments there where you went like, I can't do this anymore. Like, this is absurd. You know, that is sort of the odd part that I can't explain about uh, the band and the connection with the guys is, uh, well, at least for me, I, I don't want to speak for all of them, but, but kind of, no, I don't think it ever happened, right? Uh, and still it's not happening for me, right? It's just, I, I can't put my finger on it, but it was just a bigger mission to each other and a bigger mission to what we thought we were doing and the kind of community and gang-like thing we had. And we had, we had far more low points than high points, right? Just like any, just like every artist that's struggling, right? You know, um, it's uh, many, many moments where we were like, wow, that's it, you know, why should we bother, right? You know, um, but we, we would just sort of blindly just keep going. I don't, I can't explain why, right? It was a commitment to, 
and it was the love of, of what we were doing. Yeah, and for anybody who wasn't familiar with your band, and there are there are a lot of young people who listen to the show, which is really kind of cool. Oh, they so Google great. you guys. It's like mm. there is nothing but positive reviews. I mean, you guys are, are so reviewed so well. But I think that that also might lead someone to think that you, there was financial reward because it all seems like it would be part of a yeah. binary. Yeah, exactly, exactly right. And um, we were very lucky in that way, right? You know, I think um, because there, it's a testament to what it is, right? You know, there's a lot of great artists, get a lot of great reviews, and we were very, very well, you know, kind of regarded that way. Um, <clears throat> but I think, and I had all those young dreams, so anyone that's young and kind of growing in their artistic world and their dreams, um, you know, go full broke, don't, don't, don't undersell yourself and, and don't go short, right? Um, it's funny, I'll, I'll tell you a story, if you're <clears throat> talking about being young in your career, if anyone's listening and they're young, we, uh, we were offered this million dollar contract and we were like four guys from Jersey that had nothing. At the time, we had this, a connection that linked us into this attorney and the attorney was the attorney for Madonna. And here we were in the penthouse on 57th Street, New York City, way out of our league. We kind of showed him the million dollar contract. And I remember sitting in the big office. <clears throat> I mean, he had everyone, right? You know, Beastie Boy. I mean, it was like one of these big deals. <clears throat> it's, kind of a, it's kind of a very ironic story. <laughs> so he's sitting there, he's looking at the contract and he's like, look guys, you could sign this contract. You know, you're young enough, you can kind of do whatever. He's like, but if you don't feel right about it, bet on yourself, bet on success. So with that, we said, forget the contract, and we skipped it. The odd part about the story is that that lawyer then hired Greg and Charles to move his apartment like that very next weekend. And the only thing that ever came out of that relationship was that he paid them like $75 and they worked like hell. So it's sort of like this, this multi kind of view of like, you're at the penthouse, you got Madonna's attorney, this is when it mattered, you thought we were gonna make it. But we did give up on that contract and we followed our dreams. And um, I think we followed the right one, as hard as it is, as hard as it was. I wonder if there was a moment where they were moving that stuff. They, they looked at each other and said, is this a metaphor? They were just like, what are we doing? <laughs> oh, they right. definitely did. Oh, it's a, it's, a, it's a fun story they still share. <laughs> yeah, they're moving like bed. And like he worked them hard. <laughs> I bet he did. I mean, yeah. when you guys were faced with a, a million dollar contract like that. Did you run it by your folks? Did you sort of talk to your parents? Oh, yes. They thought we were completely stupid and ridiculous and wrong. And how could you? And, you know, looking back, they were probably right because you definitely get this experience. I think what, unfortunately, what age teaches you is just say yes a whole hell of a lot more than you say no. And I think when you're young, at least when we were, and we were super stubborn and super pig-headed. But see, it's hard to kind of say, but I do think, I think when I look at us and just comparing again, like we were talking about Connor, he never said no. He was 16 years old and he never said no to anything, right? If they wanted him to do this, he did it. I think a lot of time, young artists or young, you know, artists that are kind of, they have this predisposition of what they believe they should be, or they look up to their idols and they have to follow their idols path. And that leads to a lot of no's, or they think it's not cool or whatever. And we did that a lot. You know, it's not cool. And we were never cool to begin with. Um, and that shut a, many, many doors down to us. We said no way too much. And I, and I will say, even the Arcade Fire, all these ones, all the ones that were successful, never said no to anything, ever. The no that you said, though, in that Interscope deal was grounded in 
a credibility issue, but like it wasn't like it was a no that wasn't well thought out. Um, it was a, it, that was a heart that was a massive heartbreak. I think if you were to ask me, I think that was my lowest point, and that was be way before the Meadowlands because we had nothing. That was now 12, 13 years, and we kind of were sending demos to Interscope, and that's when record labels really mattered. You know, it was Jimmy Iodine, yeah. it was the whole deal, right? You know, it was Nine Inch Nails, and we thought we were, it was just a big deal, and we thought it was going to help us create a path. And he kind of, you know, he was a nice guy, but he had to send demos for a year, year and a half. We did well over 50 songs. And he's like, you just don't have a hit. And then at the very end, he was like, I'm going to, I want to go sign the Strokes. <laughs> so, and I remember leaving the office. He's like, look, it's just never going to happen for you guys. So I have to step out. And, you know, uh, you're just sitting there. I remember, I remember all of us, right? We were sitting in this bar in New York City. like, all right, well, let's just go home. And I guess that's it. And then another two or three years later, then we did the balance. So interesting. So, so the no, so he was saying no as well. It wasn't like yeah, yeah, totally. He was like, you guys. He's like, I like you guys. He's like, you're good songwriters, but kind of dime a dozen. And uh, you know, best of luck. I'll always help you if you need any help, but don't expect a, you know, a path here. Wow. Just yeah. out of curious, I'm just curious, like how. You know, it's funny, like two of my best friends are from Short Hills and, oh, wow. right, which is, I don't think, I'm not sure where, I don't know New Jersey very well, but in terms of- it's funny, I live like, I, I can't see it out my window, but I live, right now I'm in Berkeley Heights. I'm right across from Short Hills, close, close by. Okay, okay. So, um, and when I talk to those guys, like it, it always comes up almost like a, um, and a, part of their identity is, is being guys from Short Hills. For you and in your work, <laughs> Does New Jersey emerge as a kind of character in your in your work? No doubt. I mean, everything we everything we've named in our career. Well, again, it was that same old added, you know, artistic advice. Our first record was called Silver, but everything post that was only about us because we were living with each other. It was sort of a unique thing, and we lived, like I said, we lived with each other for fifteen years. I lived with uh, Charles longer than I lived with my my wife um, now, and. Uh, you know, New Jersey was a massive theme in it because, you know, we played all like the no-name bars. No one in Jersey really liked us. We actually played the ferry from Cape Bay, New Jersey to Lewis, Delaware. I mean, Jersey was really, and it's always that like right across the cup between Philly and kind of New York thing. Uh, but you figure then our Secaucus is where we live, the Meadowlands where we lived. We have so many references to Jersey, but not in a Springsteen way. Sort of like in our own, you know, I'm a temp, I'm going into the city type of way. I think that's where it kind of changed. And dealing with relationships when you're 20 and 30. Um, but yeah, but even on this new record, um, Alpine Drive was the street that I lived on where we moved in. It was my last band house, right? So it's Jersey, Jersey has a, you know, a weird love-hate thing with people. Yeah, I mean, like, it seems to me like Southside Johnny is more like a flag waving jersey guy where a springsteen song seemed to be about getting out of, of jersey. Yeah, kind of. yeah and uh yeah i think our our version of jersey was sort of like living in it kind of thing like taking the bus through the tunnel type of stuff <laughs> those people yeah. right that's who we were did was college for you in new jersey as well yeah it was i went to college i went to uh william patterson university uh, you, uh, it was a college at the time um, and just went for, we went from, and, and Charles went there as well. We went for music. It was a really well-known music school, um, right? Really, really in jazz. And I went for classical music, but yeah, we, we went, um, we went right there in Jersey. 
yeah, I'm the West Coast version of you without being musically talented. I I have oh, been, please. you know, I've been here the whole time as well. And it's sort of like, and I'm I'm very much in my own work, like California is a very much a character in what I in what oh, I write. That's right. Exactly. It's a relationship yeah. to who you are. And uh that's funny, where you've been in San Francisco your whole life? Yeah, outside of San like Berkeley. Oh, well, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, of course, the the style of people, the way you think. The food you eat, the 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 kind of like the the history of your local area, all that kind of does seep in, you know, for sure. How how you view dreams, how you view money, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, 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 and, yeah. Or like here in Berkeley, the food that you don't eat. <laughs> yeah, sort of right. Thing, right? Exactly. But the, but the yeah, thing is, is that enough. there there is a kind of um, you become a kind of historian of your state and of your locale, um, and of your generation. You know, whether, whether yeah. you know, I always feel like I've been chronicling and trying to get my head around the Bay Area my whole life. Um, mm -hmm. Do you feel you have a handle on the terrain of where of where you grew up? I think it's kind of changed now, right? It's funny, even the terrain that we saw from San Francisco, you know, I think the first time we played in San Francisco was 1994, 1995. Um, and then we had a video where actually we recorded it in San Francisco in the harbor on that submarine. So the Everyone Choose Sides video was actually recorded in that because we met these lovely guys. And one guy had like some mom that was connected with the government or, you know, local officials. And they got us, they were able to go in there. So, but we saw even San Francisco alone go from just so different, right? So I think in some ways, you know, New Jersey doesn't really have that sort of growth. It's just kind of like a weird state that's always sort of in this blah area. It's, you know what I mean? Like San Francisco is a real city. People go to San Francisco. People don't always go to New Jersey, right? They go to New York City. So um, I think what we've chronicled, right, is, is more just like our generation through that period. Is it interesting to hear how you were thinking about New Jersey in the early work versus how you think about it now? Yeah, I would say. Right, because you figure when we started, we were just four guys, you know, trying to pay rent. And now I'm, you know, I have a family, right? I have my wife and we have two children and, uh, you know, we kind of still figure out, you know, are we, are we still trying to escape from here and where are we going and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, you still have those kind of dreams or the confines of, uh, you know, where you are. Did you take to fatherhood and family life what did that feel like a natural fit to you was that immediately something you went oh this is this is something I love and was meant to do I was very lucky you know um yes in, in very short order right you know I was the last one to kind of get married in the band right so we started off as single as single guys and then Jerry got married first and then Greg and then Charles and then myself um but it really was kind of you know, textbook, right? Turned 40, had my first kid at 41, right? You know, really a fast kind of move. And um, yeah, could not be happier for sure. Yeah, I was talking to Kurt from the Bodines and he was telling me that he was living the rock and roll life. And it's such a funny story. He said he was sitting outside of McDonald's once and a guy came out with his family and he went, I want that. I don't want the rock and roll lifestyle anymore of the debauchery of it. Like I want stability. I want a family. And it was like kind of a cool, kind of a cool thing. I, it totally is. And you know, I, I will say like, because my wife is extremely supportive of music. As a matter of fact, she has been upset with me when I am not on music, right? Because it does something funny to me when I don't do work or kind of have it in my life. 
And I would say that my story is different than, than that story that you're sharing because I did want both and we still kind of could have it, right? You know, you still want to have like the, the you know, the, you know, the baby Bjorns, but you know, it's kind of fun when you go out with your friends and you do a rock thing and you're just like, like, wow, we shouldn't behave like this. You know, uh, not that it's any that wonderful, but it's kind of like, yeah, there is that aspect of that pirate style that's still there, right? I, I, I think it's because we didn't have so much pirate. We didn't live like some of those bands. Like some of those bands really just went in deep, right? They, yeah, we only had tastes here and there. Can you visualize doing shows? Like, would you do a couple gigs outside? I mean, I mean, it's not like I couldn't see you driving to Bottom of the Hill anymore, but would you do? Right, play a I think it's show? exactly right. I wouldn't drive to Bottom of the Hill, but I would definitely play it, and it would be a wonderful uh, opportunity, and would love it. I, you know, um, I, I've always I was so happy with the Meadowlands at the time because we had up to that point I don't know 13, 14 years of nothing. Like it was like your story, like we were playing to like, you know, family members and bums for the most part, you know, and then when that kind of hit off, I was very lucky in my early 30s to be so appreciative of what we had. I was so excited, just like, holy crap, someone came to the show. So I never, I never took it for granted. I always hoped that it could have gone to something different, but it didn't. Um, but I didn't take it for granted. And I've been lucky even now. Now, actually, what I'm kind of disappointed is that I, I let a, def, a decade go and I didn't do anything. Right? Yeah. I mean, I did. I did the songs, but now it's like, oof, you don't get a decade back. That's for sure. No, and that's kind of what I was saying earlier about, about being our age, which is yeah. you know, there's a hundred years of experience between us here, Kevin. We, yeah, <laughs> we're right sort of like, you know, we've been on this planet for a while. And <laughs> I do think that there, yeah, you're right. Like, for example, my, my book of poems came out in 2014 and I'm, I'm only like a sixth of the way through the sequel. And so like, wow. I'm going like, I can't, I don't want to do a smile situation. Like I can't, I don't want to wait another 20 years to put this thing out. I'm, I'm very cognizant of time. So when you're saying you can't get that decade back, it's like, you're right. Productivity that, you know, is, is underrated. <laughs> yeah, it is. And you know, the hardest part is to say it's done is to say it's finished, to know when it's finished and all that. I'm definitely going to look up your poems. So thank you so much. And, and oh, you're kind. Don't, be, don't be shocked if I start stealing you because I'm just sitting here at my desk and I'm showing you my poetry books. <laughs> I, have, I, do, I do have a very, I love this. Oh, book. yeah. You know, I don't know if you know this book in particular. I don't know Splay. I, I know the first one. Yeah, just um, Splay is quite good. Um, but yes, yeah, so I will definitely, and I have, what do I have here? I know I'm kind of being nerdy with you right now, but sure. I have my Stephen Sondheim book oh. of lyrics, right? So all the poetry there. And of course, this is a, a oh. you know. Uh, I'm sorry, that's not good for your podcast, but I'm sure. No, 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 it's fine. Totally, totally, completely Stephen fine. Stephen Sondheim and Leonard Cohen and, you know, uh, Nathaniel McKay. Uh, but anyway, I, I think as you kind of go and, you know, I would look into your poetry and hopefully I can steal lyrics from you. Steal uh, away. Yes, I would love to. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, say yes more often, I, I've learned, and um, don't be so precious about your, your narrative of what you think. Um, and I do think that knowing when things are done is important for an artist. Knowing when things are done in terms of, do you mean in terms of like? Of when, of when you know, like you said, you're only halfway through. Uh, you're using your story, right? You know, is halfway through enough, right? Do you need another half? But where you are, is it right? Um, and if it's not right, is it just because of what you're 
putting in your head or these obstacles that you're creating. I think those are the things that artists have to challenge themselves on, you know, over and over again. And it's hard because it's lonely business. No one's going to do it for you. No, and I, you know, this is a real mark of our generation, but I think a lot about the singer of the laws, you know, like one record and that's it. And I know that I'm sure he has thousands of songs that he's not happy with, you know, I'm sure. It's so funny you say that, right? I got that record. Yeah, it's a very generational thing, but I got that record and immediately fell in love. And I saw them open up live for Elvis Costello. And, you know, you just sort of feel from the stage that it was like, they kind of, it was weird. You know, you, you, you know when a band takes a stage and they love it. And you see when there's just already kind of a problem up there. And as much as I loved every song on that record, you're exactly right. He is an artist. He had records, he had music before that. But he's still known for that one song and you know the timeless melody and all that kind of stuff but it's like what's he you know why what yeah what was his story to himself with his work very very interesting yeah i mean i think for him it was sort of like i can't get in my head into the real world i can't wrestle it on the tape and have it sound the way i want i hear it in my head yeah and um that seems like a maddening place to be and you know for a lot of artists it, it is really a true complicated thing you know it, it's it's a struggle for everyone right even the ones that are super prolific um but those that have expectations in certain ways i i i feel for them for sure because it's really it's it's a, like i said it's a lonely game it really is are you practicing every day are you playing every day are you writing yeah i play every day um uh, i've always played i've never not had a guitar nearby or a piano or and uh it, it, it just, like you said, you know, like like you, right? You just kind of can't help yourself. You just you just do it. I, I have no rhyme or reason. I'm 51. I'm a dad. I shouldn't be. It's almost kind of comical. But then you sort of get past that. That again, it's another perception or narrative. Or just like, you know, who cares? Just do it. You know, don't do it for some sort of expectation. Do it because you have to. And if you don't, then don't do it. It's easy. Right. Right. Yeah, don't torture yourself either. Right. No one, no one, the sad part, Alex, is that no one really cares. <laughs> you know, it's a lonely business. And it's like, if you, if you really, really, really don't care, you yourself, then don't, that's what I've learned, then don't do it. Right. When you, when you write something that you're, that you're really pleased with, do you immediately go to your wife and say, hey, check this yeah. out? Yeah, totally. It's uh, without, without her, no question, hands down, this record would never be in existence for sure. Uh, every song, everything she, you know, she hears through the house because she allows me to kind of have that dalliance of interrupting the family by playing and and she'll say, good, but she never says bad. She just doesn't say anything. <laughs> so it's the good barometer that kind of helps, right? Is that, and then she's done that on every song that's on the, the current record. Unbelievable. Yeah, that's so that's really cool. And yeah. uh, and it's kind of cool. The personnel on the album is sort of like it's like you know three fourths of the rem. Yeah, it's three fourths, and you know, and, and obviously, you know, Charles is always there and you know in, in conversations that we've had, and you know, he's doing the drums on the Alpine Drive song. And um so yeah, and that's it's a split record. So half half was like old and the other half is new, right? So um it's a, it's a tell of two cities, that's for sure. How does it feel, just out of curiosity, just how does it feel to have it done and in the real world? Like it's on, how does it feel to finally get it out? That's a great question. Um, It feels uh, exciting, uh, nerve wracking, um, sort of like, okay, well, 
it's already it's 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 done right you know it's you work with it for so much and it's like your friend you know and you kind of coddle it and you and it gives you pleasure and now all of a sudden it's like i i'm gone like i like it really is like it's moved on you know and um yeah you know i'm sure you feel like about your old book right you know your, your book and you're like i lived it i loved it i knew it and i felt it and now it's like it's, it's sort of there. It's a little distant, you know, for sure. Oh yeah. More than a little distant. I mean, it's almost like one of the things I've always liked about this show is I've noticed that artists love to talk about not the new album because that's old to them. It's like, right. It's like, that's years yeah. old. Like the new stuff that's being worked on or being thought about is always more exciting. Yeah. It's so exciting. I think this is a, a unique experience for me because again, it's over 13 years of writing the songs. And oddly enough, I kind of remember uh, recording every bit of it, which is really weird. You know, not every moment, but I, I kind of do, right? I kind of know when I wrote that part, what I was thinking and how I was feeling like summer 2010, 2011, 2012, right? And just, so yes, I'm super excited about the new stuff as well, but I've also done it long enough that I know that, you know, the new, the new boy or girl in school is not always what the press is giving them, right? So that's the other part of art, right? When you do it for so long, you know, you can't be love. You can't be in love with your voice coming out of the speaker. Like you have to. Other people have to like. It. <laughs> and that's a long. It's a big difference, right? That's a big road. Yeah, it's true. It's very true. And I also think there's a, an element of of art and commerce. And when you look and see how everything's changed, or like when you talk about 2003 to 2021, it's like the the terrain is completely different in terms of the music <laughs> industry, right? Oh my God, yeah, dude. I mean, even for us, you know, like I told you about the fax machine, but we started out with those zines. I remember talking to Cruise Records from California. Yeah. We would send it all in the packages. We did the, the pre everything, you know, and then when the Meadowlands came out, it was only in message board at that point. And then all of a sudden, like websites started to come into play, you know, Facebook was 2006. I mean, it was like, whatever. So, and now, holy crap, it, it, it literally is like, it's like Star Wars right now. I mean, it's the speed and it's only going to get faster. You know, and um, the, the the major, you know, I lived in the land of dinosaurs, and they're all dead in a way. It's sort of weird, right? You know, it's back when like oh, lab major labels and and payola and all that. It's like yeah, you're, I'm literally talking about like you know covered wagons. I know, I know, no, I I'm I'm with you on that because I mean that, that's the same. We're of the same era, and it's amazing to have watched it change. Where I almost wonder now, like a young band, like, how do you make money in music anymore? I don't know how you would even do that. Yeah, I mean, I think, and it's also the format will change how things are kind of adopted. You see a lot of these kids that are, so when we, when we did it, when we started, it was a real sort of badge of honor that we recorded it in our basement. Because at the time, the only place you could record was in a studio for a lot of money. We didn't have any cash. Now the format is different. The kids are recording, you know, sitting at the airport and sitting in their bedrooms and they're making incredible records. And um, so that's kind of given a freedom to really a lot of great music now, which you wouldn't have had in the past. And also a lot of crap, you know, but the other part is that where do they play? Where do they go and kind of expose themselves or practice and do shows and become a great performer, right? You know, not everybody is, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, name an incredible performer, right? Um, Beyonce, not everyone's so natural. Right. So how do these young bands, you know, we always had a lot of clubs and bars and they're gone, right? People don't go see live music in that way anymore. So 
you're right though because like when the sebado like that bake sale record it was like do you know how this was recorded it was done this lo-fi and it was like oh, oh my totally. god yeah i remember buying bake sale right i remember buying you know sebado three or whatever in particular and it was just like oh my gosh listen to how good and bad this sounds we can do it right we went out and bought our first a dot machines and with our money and you know it's you know crazy well, you've had a very interesting rock and roll life. Oh, I mean, it's been fascinating to me to, to sort of watch. And I've always, I've always been really curious about um, having a chat with you. I've always wanted to talk to you because I've, I've just felt there was so much to cover. But uh, man, I'm just so happy that you, you put this record Thank out. You, and, um, Thank you, man. You know, and I'm, I've admired your work for so long and, and you're such a nice guy. It's, it's fun to talk to you. Yeah, same here. Thank you so much, Alex. I, um, you, know, uh, you know, I'm sure you're so inspiring to... Uh, all of your students and you know you inspired me on your your poetry i will definitely be going to check it out and and thanks for your passion right i mean it really helps you know because music and art people bring into their lives in so many different ways and you can't control it so thank you for for helping right because the, the record matters to me and uh, means a lot thanks can you say kevin whalen what a nice guy really just uh like an old friend and his album aeon stations observatory instant classic get it get it through the sub pop apparatus subpop.com or go to facebook and type in aeon station band that's a-e-o-n station band uh check him out go there see what's happening the page is pretty active so you're always going to be up to date on what's going on in the world of Aeon Station. Your world has been disrupted by their album Observatory, and now you have to revise your year-end list of top 10 albums. One of them is going to have to fall out of the top 10. Throw Observatory in there, something falls to 11, doesn't it? Well, that's going to be interesting. You've got, what, two weeks to figure it out. Uh, AlexGreenOnline.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with me. BombshellRadio.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with our radio station. Find out how we stay on the air 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. And yeah, the math checks seven days a week. You can follow me on Twitter at Ember's Editor. You can follow me on Instagram at Ember's Podcast. Please feel free to email me, editor at Stereo Ember's Magazine. Dot com And don't forget, Stereo Embers, the podcast, is now available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, tell a friend, rate and review. The order in which you do these things is not important. You can mix it up as much as you like. But if you hit all those things, we would be very, very grateful. Thank you, as always, for listening to the program. Let's close the show with a longer listen to Fade by Aeon Station. Enjoy it, and thank you as always for listening to Stereo Embers the Podcast only on Bombshell Radio.
Just a piece.